0: Welcome to the Monash University Perioperative Medicine podcast series. My name is Dr. Olivia Lay and I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Harry Sivakuma, a dual trained consultant anaesthetist and pain specialist at the Alfred. Thank you for joining me.
1: No worries. Thank you.
0: Today, we aim to discuss the applications of methadone in the periperative period with a focus on special populations, including patients presenting with chronic pain and in patients receiving opioid replacement therapy. Harry, can you please tell me about methadone and what makes it unique?
1: Thanks, Liv. Methadone is an opioid. In fact, it is a fully synthetic mu-opioid. It's widely used around the world in a number of contexts, most commonly these days in opioid replacement therapy for those struggling with a substance abuse problem. Methadone has some really interesting and unique pharmacology, but the key distinguishing feature of it is that it is highly fat-soluble. This means that when methadone is administered to the patient, a lot of the drug quickly leaves the bloodstream and goes into the patient's fat and muscle. This in turn leads to less drug in the patient's bloodstream and therefore less drug making its way through to the patient's brain and spinal cord where it would typically have its clinical effect. Therefore, when methadone is administered to the patient, initially the drug stops working mostly because the drug leaves the bloodstream and settles into the fat and muscle. This is different to most other opioids such as morphine and oxycodone where the drug stops working more so because of clearance of the drug from the body, usually by the liver or kidney. Of course, with repeated dosing of methadone, the fat and muscle will eventually become saturated full of drug. This usually takes about one week to happen with regular dosing. In this situation, the methadone now more so stays in the bloodstream and the drug would stop working because of clearance of the drug from the body by the liver. The other important thing about methadone is that it is metabolised by the liver to inactive metabolites. It has no active metabolites, and the kidneys are minimally involved in the clearance of drug. Therefore, methadone is a potential option in chronic kidney impairment.
0: What are some of the potential problems to be aware of with methadone?
1: There, there are a few things to be aware of, aware of with methadone. There are four things that I want to talk about. The first thing is that the pharmacology of methadone is complex. The elimination half-life of methadone, which is the time required for the liver to clear half of methadone from the bloodstream is about 24 hours. This differentiates it from most other clinically used opioids where the elimination half-life is usually around four to eight hours. The consequence of this is that in a patient stable on long-term methadone, when the dose is changed, it takes a long time to achieve a new steady state plasma concentration, usually about a week. The second thing is that methadone is a victim of lots and lots of drug interactions, usually caused by changes to liver enzymes and thus changes to the way that the liver metabolizes methadone out of the body. This includes with common drugs such as tramadol or SSRI antidepressants, drugs that are commonly used in clinical practice. It is not uncommon for a patient to be started on a new drug, which would then lead inadvertently to a rise or fall in methadone plasma levels. The classic example would be initiation of the antibiotic rifampicin for a patient with an infection, which then causes a significant increase in methadone elimination by the liver, which then pushes the patient inadvertently into opiate withdrawal. It's an important thing to keep in mind. The third issue is QT prolongation, which is usually not a consideration clinically with smaller doses, but more of a consideration with the larger doses that are used in opiate replacement therapy. Having said that, It may be a factor in the perioperative context with the additional factors of surgical stress, electrolyte imbalances, hypothermia, other QT prolonging drugs. So always important to keep this one in mind. The fourth and last thing is that converting doses to methadone is tricky. Conversion from methadone to morphine is a non-linear scale. And there are a number of tables or calculators available widely online to help convert from morphine to methadone, but it is a tricky non-linear conversion. The other thing to keep in mind is that these conversions are one way from morphine to methadone. The vice versa conversion from methadone to morphine is controversial and not well elucidated. So I would get expert advice if you wanted to make that conversion.
0: Harry, why is methadone used in opioid replacement therapy?
1: There are three pharmacotherapy options in opioid replacement therapy for patients with a substance abuse problem. Commonly methadone, buprenorphine or naltrexone. Broadly speaking, the aims of opioid replacement therapy are twofold. Firstly, to suppress withdrawal symptoms and suppress cravings. This typically requires a high dose in the range of 60 to 120 milligrams per day. The second aim of opioid replacement therapy is to decrease mortality risk. And it has been shown that the mortality risk is decreased by 50 to 75% by being involved in a methadone or buprenorphine maintenance replacement program as opposed to being an untreated heroin abuser. So it is effective from that point of view. As I said, in opioid replacement therapy, the dose is usually large, larger, 60 to 80 to 100 milligrams. And typically the patient takes the liquid formulation of methadone. This is different to the chronic pain context where the dose is usually smaller, perhaps 20 milligrams per day. And the patient usually takes tablets of methadone.
0: Can you elaborate a little bit more about the use of methadone in chronic pain then? Why would it be
1: useful for those patients as well? Certainly. Um, Well, in the chronic pain context, firstly, methadone is a potent opioid. It it has very high affinity and is a full agonist of the mu and delta opioid receptors. But it also has other uh, pharmacological effects that may be useful in pain management. It is an NMDA antagonist and it is also a serotonin and noradrenaline reuptake inhibitor, both of which which are thought to have pain-relieving effects. Some people have even theorised that the NMDA antagonism in methadone may lead to less susceptibility for tolerance or hyperalgesia from from the opioid medications. Though this has not been borne out in clinical research, and so I would not make this particular claim.
0: Okay. Methadone is colloquially being described as an opioid-sparing opioid. Would you use intravenous methadone in the operating theatre for acute pain management?
1: Yes, this topic has been studied, most of the evidence being in multi-level spine fusion. Additionally, our pain unit has some clinical experience using it in other operations associated with a high degree of postoperative pain, such as thoracotomy and even GA seizes. There are two things to understand when using IV methadone in the operating theatre. The first thing is that the T-half KEO, which is the time required for the brain effect site compartment to reach 50% of the plasma level is eight minutes with methadone, which is comparable to oxycodone. What this means is that the clinical onset of the drug is quite quick, usually within six to 10 minutes. Secondly, as we discussed, the initial offset of the drug is by redistribution of the drug from the bloodstream into the fat and muscle. The redistribution half-life is about six minutes. Thus, we would expect the peak respiratory depression from methadone to be within 30 minutes of giving the drug intravenously, so if I was to give a patient a drug, of, uh, if I was to give a patient a dose of methadone at induction, and then I was to wake the patient up one hour later, I would expect this patient to be past the peak respiratory depression from their methadone dose. In terms of dosing in theatre, there's been some outstanding work done in this area by Dr. Goulet in the 1990s. Dr. Goulet, incidentally, is an Australian-based researcher based out of Adelaide. As we have discussed, when we administer methadone, the drug undergoes two phases. The first phase is redistribution from the blood into fat and muscle, which happens relatively quickly, say 30 minutes. And the second phase, once the fat and muscle are relatively saturated, is for the drug to stay in the blood and be cleared by the liver, which takes much longer, say 24 hours. The goal of giving methadone in theater is for the plasma drug level during this second phase to be in the therapeutic range the therapeutic analgesic range in line with this principle the work done by dr. Goulet has shown that a higher dose of methadone in theater in the order of 0.2 milligrams per kilogram which is roughly 15 milligrams uh, for a 70 kilogram patient a higher dose provides analgesia for up to 24 hours whereas a lower dose such as five milligrams, is offset by redistribution uh, and a lower plasma level in the second phase. And this provides analgesia for a shorter duration, say three or four hours. Interestingly, research has shown that giving a larger dose of methadone in theater may decrease post-operative opioid use and decrease overall opioid consumption in the first 24 hours. And in this way, methadone has been called an opioid-sparing opioid. In my practice, I use methadone for surgeries expected to lead to a high degree of post-operative pain. My dosing rules of thumb are to administer a young robust patient, about 20 milligrams, a middle-aged patient, about 15 milligrams, and an older fragile patient, about 10 milligrams. I usually give most or all of my drug up front at the start of the case, plus minus trickle in small additional doses throughout or towards the end of the case if I think that they're required based on clinical assessment.
0: So, Harry, from what you've said, you would give the majority of your dose at induction and then a smaller amount uh, titrated towards the end of the case. What would you prescribe for rescue pain in recovery? Would you continue that uh, 2.5
1: milligrams IV dosing in the recovery unit? That's a a good question. Um, There are two options here. The first option is to continue using methadone in small al to try and get that plasma level up into the therapeutic range. For this, I would typically give 2.5 milligrams, 15-minutely PRN um, intravenously and just with ongoing clinical assessment. That is difficult because it requires monitoring for a period of time uh, and staff that are familiar with doing this or are comfortable doing this. The alternative option in a busy operating theater list um, where your time may be stretched would be to use a standard oxycodone protocol um, and, and then go from there.
0: Given the S-enantema provides NMDA receptor antagonism, would a ketamine infusion interoperatively be synergistic or unnecessary?
1: Um, the NMDA antagonism of methadone is a relatively weak phenomenon. So if I wanted to use... If I, if I wanted to employ NMDA antagonism for a particular patient, for example, a patient who is um, undergoing painful surgery or a chronic pain patient or an opioid-tolerant patient where I would think about using NMDA antagonism, I would use ketamine uh, in the usual doses of 0.1 to 0.3 milligrams per kilogram per hour.
0: And so how would you manage the patient post-operatively for their acute pain once the patient is discharged from recovery?
1: I either use a PCA or PRN oral endone to manage post-operative pain, usually at normal or slightly higher than normal doses. In line with the emerging principle to minimise reliance on SR opioids in acute pain, I use methadone in the operating theatre and then immediate-release opioids post-op without the prescription of ongoing SR opioids on the ward.
0: And if you felt the patient needed a patient-controlled analgesia option, would you change the lockout interval between doses for the first twenty-four
1: hours? No, I, I use the standard lockout of five minutes.
0: Okay, um, Harry, how would you manage a patient coming to the operating theatre who is? on long-term stable um, oral methadone for either chronic pain or for opioid replacement therapy. I found these particularly tricky.
1: Yeah. So these are tricky patients and it's a difficult situation. In a patient stable on long-term oral methadone, there are two important factors to be mindful of. The first thing is that the patient is opioid tolerant and methadone tolerant. The second thing is that the patient's fat and muscle stores are saturated with methadone. And therefore, any additional methadone administered in theatre will most likely stay in the vascular compartment in the bloodstream until it is cleared by the liver. My general approach is, firstly, I use multimodal analgesia, including simple analgesia, all the way up to potentially more advanced analgesics, such as ketamine. And I always think about the role of regional anesthesia to manage pain. The choice of intraoperative opioid is tricky. One option is methadone. The risk of that being overdoing it and having a sleepy patient in PACU or recovery uh, for hours and hours. The other option is to use an alternative opioid such as morphine or oxycodone, but predicting the dose required can be tricky. And the risk in this case is underdoing it and having a pain crisis in PACU. I personally would use methadone in the operating theater for a chronic methadone patient. The dose is a bit of a clinical guesstimate based on the degree of expected nociception created by the surgery. Ideally, I would do a preoperative regional block, which means that I'm not expecting a high degree of postoperative pain, which allows me to use a relatively smallish dose of intraoperative methadone. Postoperatively, I continue the patient's baseline methadone, but divide it over two doses per day, so BD dose. And this is important to A, prevent withdrawal, but also BD dosing will allow the drug to remain in a therapeutic analgesic range for more of the day. Otherwise, I prescribe multimodal analgesia and I use a PCA or PRN endone for breakthrough pain. In this situation, endone usually at higher than normal doses, perhaps 10 to 20 milligrams.
0: Great. And if a patient is having bowel surgery and the enteral route is unavailable postoperatively, how do you administer their baseline methadone? Yeah.
1: So methadone can be given intravenously the oral-to-IV bioavailability is reported to be anywhere between 40 and 100%, usually reported to be around 80%. Having said that, with long-term use of methadone, there are changes to liver enzymes, meaning that more of the drug taken orally is metabolized by the liver before it reaches the bloodstream. This means that the oral-to-IV bioavailability is lower in chronic methadone users, perhaps around 50%. So in the situation that you've outlined, the patient having bowel surgery where the enteral route is unavailable post-operatively, I would give methadone intravenously and BD post-op, but decrease the dose by about a third. And I'd give the patient a PCA to meet additional analgesic needs. Perhaps I might also consider citing a pre-op regional catheter if they're having a laparotomy. And ideally, this particular patient would be admitted to HDU for closer monitoring in the first 24 to 48 hours post-operatively.
0: So, Harry, if I could ask you a bit of a controversial question now. If methadone is titratable and we see the respiratory depression earlier in comparison to intrathecal morphine, and it also avoids a puncture for administration, could you envisage a role for methadone where intrathecal morphine is currently used?
1: Uh, So in the laparotomy context, um, there are a number of options for pain management, two of those options being the ones you've outlined, intrathecal morphine uh, and methadone in theatre, but there are other options as well. Um, As to the question about which is better, I would say that that is a clinical judgment for the anaesthetist looking after the patient, depending on their clinical assessment of the patient and their particular skill set. Yes, there are benefits to methadone, um, but there also potentially are benefits to um, intrathecal morphine. So again, I would say that uh, the decision is best made by the anaesthetist looking after the patient um, with factoring in all the, all the various patient, hospital and, and anaesthetic factors.
0: Well, Harry, that brings us to the end of, of my questions, but is there anything else that you would like to add, please?
1: There's just one more thing I wanted to add. Um, in pregnancy, Olivia, because of changes to liver enzymes and blood volume and proteins, the elimination half-life of methadone in pregnancy is much shorter, roughly eight hours. Remember I said earlier that the ordinary elimination half-life of methadone is about 24 hours. So eight hours in a pregnant patient is a big change. The consequence of this is that a pregnant woman would need higher dosing or BD dosing to maintain stable plasma levels, especially towards the end of their pregnancy.
0: And would it be safe uh, for their baby if she was breastfeeding postoperatively, particularly if she had had a general anaesthetic um, cesarean section, as mentioned
1: before? Yeah. So so methadone, like, like most opioids, is a category C medication. Um, category C uh, states that the medication is caused or suspected of causing harmful fetal effects on the fetus without causing malformation and likely to be reversible effects. So, I presume that this is mainly referring to respiratory depression. It is the same category as oxycodone and morphine, which are drugs that we commonly use in GA or for postoperative post sorry for post cesarean pain management. So, I would say that it is equally safe as the existing medications for post-caesarean pain management.
0: Thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you.